Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. Ever heard the expression, when the cat's away, the mice will play? It basically means without supervision, people will do whatever they want to do. And it normally includes breaking the rules. So when Roddy the rat's rents, try saying that when you've had a few, went away, Roddy went into party mode. He went wild, he broke a few rules. And that's the title of my message today. When the pastors are away, the people will play. Ever done what Roddy did when your parents have gone somewhere? I I was heavily backslidden at the age of 18 and... At Christmas, I had the opportunity to work in a nursing home, which was double time for Christmas Day and Boxing Day. So my mum and dad went down to my nan's in Gloucester for Christmas, and um, I just took the opportunity while they weren't around to go a little bit wild. And I'd worked at the, I'd worked, and I worked in a nursing home, and I worked the evening shift till nine o'clock on Christmas Eve. And then I thought, right, I'm going down the Trent Bridge Inn now. And I got there, and all my friends were drunk, so I ordered five double gins in one glass and drunk all of them, and then was very, very very ill for three days. I managed to get to, to, uh, to the nursing home for Christmas Day, but within about an hour, I puked in nearly every sink in the nursing home and was sent back home. And then I proceeded to bring up bile for about three days. I even managed to burn a hole in my carpet. That's how bad it was. And serves me right, absolutely ridiculous. But when those in authority go away, the mice play. And ha- not having rules and guidelines and a strong leader in place like your mum and dad just doesn't do you any good. We need boundaries. We need boundaries. Children need boundaries. Adults need boundaries. And we see it through all, through all out scripture. Whenever a strong leader goes absent, everything goes to pot and the people start to rebel. As soon as a strong leader isn't enforcing the boundaries that are in place of what's acceptable, often lawlessness just sets in and follows. Happened in Moses, to Moses in the Old Testament. We read of how God asked him to go up a mountain. Now, he'd been up this mountain about seven times before, but on this particular occasion, he was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. And then so the people start to panic. The people are like, Moses has been gone a long time. Where's Moses? Has he, has he gone up one end, upside and down the other? Has, has, has God killed him? Like, where, where is Moses? So this mass panic starts to set in. And then in Exodus 32, 1 to 6, it says this. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, that was his psychic, and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who, you brought, who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. And Aaron answered them and said, take off your gold earrings that your wives, sons, and daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then he said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he bought, built an altar in front of a calf and announced, tomorrow there's going to be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. And afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in what the Bible calls revelry. The Message Bible says it like this, the people began to party and it turned into a wild party. While Moses was away, the people parted and played. I want to share another story with you just to prove the point. There was a queen called Athalia. 
she was a w- wicked woman. She was ruling the land and she'd led her people to serve and worship false gods. But there was a righteous man in the land called Jehoadad. He was a priest and he took the kingdom back by having the queen killed. And then he got rid of all the false gods. And a seven-year-old lad called Joash became king. Now, obviously, he can't rule the country at seven years old. He's too young. So they kept Jehoadad on and he was able to rule. And it says that while Jehoadab was in charge, while he was teaching them and guiding them and instructing them, that everything went well. But if we jump down in the story in 2 Chronicles 24, we're told that Jehoadad dies. I just want to pick up the story for us in verse 17. But after the death of Jehoadad, things fell apart. The leaders of Judah made a formal presentation to the king and went along with them. Things went from bad to worse. They deserted the temple of God and took up with the cult of sex goddesses. An angry cloud hovered over Judah and Jerusalem because of this sin. God sent prophets to straighten them out, warning them of judgment, but nobody paid any attention. So can you see that as soon as a strong, powerful leader is out of the picture, just how bad things can get, how lawlessness can start to increase? When Moses, the strong leader, was up the mountain... Aaron, the weaker leader, was just basically led astray by the people that he was looking after. And the same thing happened with Jehoadad and Joash. Let me take you to the New Testament just to show you the same thing was happening there too. So here's the Apostle Paul. He's planting churches. We've planted churches, so we know what that's like. You know, we had a plant in Cotgrave. We had Ed Walton and we had this place. And you can't be in three places at the same time and this is what was happening to the apostle Paul he was planting churches but he was having to leave them to it so that he could go and plant other ones and everywhere that he planted churches he would hand them over to other people to run them to look after them but as the father he had to constantly deal with things that were going on in these churches he was teaching them sound doctrine he was teaching them how to run the church and yet as you read into 1 and 2 Corinthians it's really apparent that he has to rebuke the people He's having to give them a ticking off and telling them that they need to put some stuff right. He's saying to them, guys, what are you doing? That's not what I taught you. And the reason he has to do it is because he can see that bad stuff is starting to creep into the church. That's what happens in the absence of strong leadership. In 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 21, Paul says this to the church. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you don't have many fathers. For in Jesus Christ, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. And for this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. And he will remind you of my way of life in Christ, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant as if I wasn't going to come back, but I will come. I will come very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What would you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline? Or shall I come to you with love and a gentle spirit? And you see, the Corinthians, they think Paul's bluffing. They think he's telling them, look, you guys need straightening out down there at the church. You know, Paul's sending Timothy to remind them that that things need to be sorted out, that there are messes. And he's saying, don't make me come down there myself. I'm sending people on my behalf. He says, some of you are puffed up and don't think I'll come, but I will. I'm coming. 
He says, these people talk real big when I'm gone, but I'm coming back and I'm going to confront them to their faces and then we'll see how tough they really are. This is a pastor. This is how this pastor is talking to his flock. I'm reading, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'd never dream of talking to my people like that. But you've got to understand what was going on. Paul could see that things were going wrong. He could see that in his absence, stuff was creeping in. You know, the Bible says a little bit of yeast affects the whole batch of dough. That's all it takes for the entire bread to rise, just one little bit. And that was what was happening in the churches. The little foxes were getting in. There was dissent. There was offense. They were, there was disunity. They were trying to turn people away from their faith. And Paul's like, no, 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 not on my watch. I am going to defend this church to the hilt. And so were we. But enough about the church in Corinth. How about here at the Rock? Because you've got two strong leaders that are about to go and do a roddy and take some time off and do some wild stuff. We're going on sabbatical. And while the pastors are away, the mice might play. But let me tell you this, there ain't going to be no messing in our absence. Can I, can I ask Kathy and Rod and Simon just to come out the front for a minute? These guys are our elders. Yeah, give them a clap. Does this guy look like the kind of guy who's going to take any messing from anybody in the church? <laughs> Does this guy look, well, maybe a little bit. No, I'm joking, Rod. <laughs> this, is the, this is the spiritual one. <laughs> just stretch out a hand to them if you believe in this stuff. I just want to pray for you guys. Lord, I thank you that we are leaving this church in strong, powerful hands, in leaders that know how to lead, that know how to love, that know how to govern and to guard and to guide. And we speak a blessing over them, God. We speak your anointing over them, that they will be great men and women of God to our congregation in the next three months. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you. You can sit down. You might not know this either, but we have what we call a, um, a Sunday evening leadership team. And in our absence, Claire is going to be overseeing it. So Claire, we pray for you as well, and we will be praying for you. And again, good hands, strong, powerful leaders. Now it says that everything rises and falls on leadership, and we are leaving you in great hands. We are. If we'd have gone two years ago when we were meant to go, it... it, it I, I, I wouldn't be as confident as I am today. But we are leaving you in really good hands. And we're doing that so that no void can be filled with wicked people. We're doing it so that no crazy goings on can take place because we've got the right people in the right place to pray against that kind of stuff. We don't want to see anybody being led astray. We want you to stick together. We want you to grow together. And obviously, just looking at all of you wonderful people, I don't see anyone here who's going to try and talk somebody out of their faith while we're gone. And I don't think for one minute you're going to go up to our elders and say, hey, why don't we change this, that, and the other while Kate and Ali are gone? It's not going to happen, is it? It's not going to happen. But be vigilant, guys, because the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour. You know, he wants to infiltrate this church while we're gone. And he'll probably have a good shot at it. But he won't, he won't win. 
And here's the deal, we're not expecting this church to suffer in our absence. Far from it. We are expecting you to soar. We're not expecting you to survive. We're expecting you to thrive. We're expecting to come back and have to catch up with some of you because you've run so far ahead that we're going to feel miles behind. And you know what? We're all right with that. We're really secure in who we are. And if you can go further than we could ever go, that will always be our heart for every single one of you. If we come back and we've been outdone of a job, we're all right with that because God will just move us on to something else. But it was always, always has been and always will be our intention that you guys can stand on our shoulders, standing on the shoulders of giants so that you can see further than we could ever see. That is our heart for every single one of you. We want you to play. We want you to have fun. We don't want you wishing that we were around. We want you to be absolutely loving the fact that we're not. We want you to get out of your comfort zones, be nudged out of your nests, as I spoke on last time, rising up to any challenge that anyone throws at you. We want to come back and see spiritual growth in you and numerical growth in the church. We want to hear of passions and ideas and creativity and new ministries being birthed. We want to hear about your ministries of helps, about your generosity. We want to know that you've been praying for people, that people have been prophesying, that things have been going mad and that signs and wonders are accompanying the preaching of the word. But that means that you guys have to seize this opportunity. Us going away for three months isn't a time for you to just sit back on your laurels. It's not a time to start raising stuff you're not happy with. It's, it's not a time to stop coming. It's not a time to start shirking back. It's a time to press on, just like we heard this morning, to press on into all the fullness of God. So my question and challenge tonight is this. Who are you when the cat's away? Are you going to be like Roddy the rat and just get, try and get away with stuff and go wild? Or are you trying to grow? Are you trying to be something much better when we come back than where you are right now? This question was posed on an American survey. It says, what are you willing to do for 10 million pounds? And two thirds of American people that were polled would agree to at least one and some to several of the following answers. 25% said they would abandon their entire families for 10 million pounds. 25% said they would abandon their church. 23% said they would become prostitutes for a week. 16% said they would give up their American citizenship. 16% said they would leave their spouses. 10% said they would withhold testimony against a murderer. 7% said they would kill a stranger. And this is the last one. You ready for this? 3% said they would put their children up for adoption for £10 million. Debs, stop it. <laughs> Listen, who are you? God's looking for men and women that he can trust. Men and women who practice what they pe preach. Men and women whose integrity stays, continues when they shut the door and nobody else is looking. Men like the great Michelangelo who painted that magnificent fresco on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. He did it lying down on his back for endless hours, night and day, finishing every detail with the most minute detail of care. And a friend said to him one day, 
why he did it, knowing that everyone would be viewing it from a distance. And the friend said to him, who's even going to notice whether it's perfect or not? And Michelangelo said, I'll notice. That's integrity. Several years ago in California, a fellow walked into a fried chicken place and bought a couple of chicken dinners for himself and his date one late afternoon. And the young woman at the counter inadvertently gave him the proceeds of the till instead of the bag of chicken. And these guys go off on this picnic and they get to this lovely lake and they, they get their chicken dinner out, but when they unwrap it, they realize it's just a bag full of notes. And straight away, this guy bundles the woman back into the car and they go off straight back to where they bought it from and walked in and Mr. Clean walks in with this bag of money and of course the, 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 the manager when he sees this bag of money says oh my goodness you know I thought my job was on the line I'm going to call the press I'm going to get you on the front page of every newspaper for being so honest and he says no 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 hold it hold it he says I see that woman that I'm with it's not my wife the man lacked integrity there's a story of a young builder who had to learn the lesson of integrity the hard way. He married a building contractor's daughter and the father-in-law wanted to give them a boost for their wedding. And he said to him, son, I don't want you to start at the bottom where I did. So I want you to go out and build the most tremendous house this town has ever seen. Put the best of everything in it, make it a palace and then I'll buy it off you and you can make a nice tidy profit on it. Well, this was an opportunity for an absolute killing. So this, this young lad, he hurries out, he buys all the cheapest material, he slaps this building together that will probably survive a couple of storms, and then he goes back to his father-in-law and says, Dad, it's finished. It's amazing. It's just like a palace, exactly what you asked me to build. Is it really the finest house you've ever built, son? Yes, Dad. All right, where's the bill? Because I want to give you the profit. Here you go, Dad. By the way, the father said, I didn't tell you why I wanted that house to be the best house ever built. I wanted to do something special for you and my daughter to show you how much I love you. You can have the house. You actually built it for yourself. The young gold digger crept out a shattered and frustrated man. He thought he was making a fortune at his father's expense by saving money on inferior materials and shortcuts, but he only cheated himself. The man lacked integrity. Integrity is who you are when nobody else is looking. After a Sunday sermon, the pastor of a church in London got on a bus the next day, and when he paid for his ticket, the driver gave him too much change. So he found a seat, and he starts fumbling about with all this cash in his hand, and he's counted it, and he can feel in his head, it's like, oh, it must, it's the Lord, I forgot my lunch, I'll be able to buy some lunch. You know, he's, he's convincing himself that it's, it's just the Lord providing in mysterious ways for him. But as it was nearing his stop, he's just getting that inner conviction. And when he presses the button and starts walking down to the, the end of the bus, he's counting this money and he knows he's been given too much change. So he finally, before he gets off, he's convicted and he goes up to the bus driver and he says, I just need to tell you that you gave me too much change. And the bus driver replied, no, I haven't. I was in your church last night and I heard your message on integrity and I wanted to see if you practice what you preach. That's a true story. So how about you? When the pastors are away, when the shepherds aren't checking in, how are you? Who are you? How's your integrity? We, we didn't know what each of us were, were preaching on, but what comes next is quite similar to what Ali spoke about this morning. I want to say, how's your spiritual life? 
What's that going to look like? Will you stay disciplined in your walk with God? Are you going to get up? Are you going to set your alarm for six o'clock in the morning and spend more time with God? Are you going to press into him? Are you going to develop good godly habits in these next three months? Because that's the only way you're going to grow. Will you pray for each other? What about your personal life? You know, what goes on when you're not in church or around your church family? Because that determines what you're like when you're in church and around your church family. What are you feeding yourself? How many hours are you spending on Netflix? How many 18 ratings are you watching? Does that not bother you? The fact that Jesus is in your heart and probably right next to you on your sofa or your bed. Some of the things we watch, for me, an 18, we would, we would never touch an 18 anymore. It's just sex and violence. Is that going to grow you spiritually? Is that going to help you in any way, shape, or form? All it's going to do is put stuff in your head. Does what you're doing feel good between you and the Holy Spirit? Because what goes down in private will always have an effect upon what happens in public. And talking about public, how's your social life going to look? What are you going to be doing in your free time? Would you take Jesus with you? Would he feel comfortable with some of the places that you go? Down the pub, down the football, going to a gig? How much are you drinking when you're out with the Holy Spirit living inside of you? Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. People are watching you guys. Even if you think they're not, they're always watching. And even if they're not, God is. What about those of you who are married? What kind of a partner are you? How are you going to be in the next three months? Are you going to treat your partner well? Are you going to bless them, out-bless them? Thank you, darling. Are you going to tell them that you love them? Are you going to put them first in honor, preferring one another? What about your sex life? That's important. That's a gift from God. Don't withhold should have known that was coming I'm speaking to the men in that as well it's not just the women that withhold you know what about those of you who are single how are you doing with that what are you looking at are you on dating sites are you spending hours just looking at other people's profiles is that doing you any good how far are you allowing yourself to go on a date challenging isn't it integrity what about your relationship with your family what kind of a parent are you do you shout at your kids do you get angry they'll only end up copying what you do we found out the hard way what about your parents are you honoring them do you go and see them what about your finances would you allow somebody to look at your bank statement would it bother you if they saw the, the places that you spend your money and what you're spending your money on? Or more to the point, maybe what you're not spending your money on, where you're not giving? That's challenging. Make a great choice tonight to determine that no matter what happens, you won't lose your integrity. Make a choice that you're going to demonstrate to the world that you are men and women of God.
In 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul and Silas write to the church at Thessalonica. Listen to this. Every time we think of you, we thank God for you. Day and night, you are in our prayers as we call to mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in following our master, Jesus Christ. It's clear to us, friends, that God not only loves you very much, but also has put his hand on you for something special. Can you just receive this as if this is God speaking to the rock right now? When the message we preach came to you, it wasn't just words. Something happened in you. The Holy Spirit put steel in your convictions. You paid careful attention to the way we lived among you and determined to live that way yourselves. In imitating us, you imitated the master. Although great trouble accompanied the word, you were able to take great joy from the Holy Spirit, taking the trouble with the joy, the joy with the trouble. Do you know that all over the provinces of both Macedonia and West Bridgeford and Ruddenton and Cockgrave and Keyworth, believers look up to you. The word has gotten around. Your lives are echoing the master's word, not only in the provinces, but all over the place. The news of your faith in God is out. We don't even have to say anything anymore. You're the message. People come up and tell us how you received, have you received us with open arms, how you deserted the dead idols of your old life so you could embrace and serve the true and living God. They marvel at how expectantly you await the arrival of his son, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescued us from certain doom. We've read that already in Psalm 18 tonight. What a report. What a report. I want to hear this. I want to hear this from our leaders when we come back. I want to be able to salute you in December. And I want to encourage us to keep our integrity because the eyes of the world are on us. People are watching us. That means we should always say the right thing. Do the right thing. Think the right thing. We should walk and talk just like Jesus. I just want to finish with this poem that was written by a guy called Ted Engstrom. It's talking about the meaning of being a Christian. And he says, the world needs men who cannot be bought, whose word is their bond, and who put character above wealth, who possess opinions and a will, who are larger than their vocations, who don't hesitate to take chances. Take some chances, church who will not lose their individuality in a crowd, who will be honest in the small things as well as in the great things, who will make no compromise with wrong, whose ambitions are not confined to their own selfish desires, who will say, not say they do it because everyone else is doing it, who are true to their friends through good report and evil report in adversity as well as in prosperity. Stick together, guys. We do not believe that shrewdness, cunning, and hard-headedness are the best qualities for winning success. You know, the way to be successful as a Christian is literally just to be in the will of God. Who are not ashamed or afraid to stand for the truth when it's unpopular, and who can say no with emphasis, even when the rest of the world is saying yes. While the pastors are away, we want the mice to play. But keep it clean and keep your integrity intact. Amen. Thank you.